Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One half of the podcast, my name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Other half of the podcast, Kevin Valentin. Kyle, we got ourselves a little bit of an agenda today, my boy. What you got for us? Yes, sir. We've got a solid agenda to go through. So we have eight topics to tackle in today's episode. So we'll start with a quick recap of the Tokyo Olympics that just wrapped up over the weekend. We'll talk about the U.S. men's and the U.S. women's basketball team both winning gold medals in their respective events. We'll talk about Messi officially going to PSG. ESPN has reported that there is a deal in place and it has been agreed to. And we'll talk about just how it impacts European soccer as a whole with him going to France this upcoming season. After that, we're going to do just a quick recap of the NFL Hall of Fame's inductions that took place this weekend so we had two classes get their shine this past weekend you had the 2020 class and then the 2021 class they both made their speeches throughout the weekend and it was it was definitely fun i always like seeing the bus being unveiled for the class player for the players or the coaches that get inducted into the hall of fame that year i just thought overall this year was pretty memorable just because you had some really Really solid players that got in, like Peyton Manning, Calvin Johnson, Troy Palomalo, just to name off a few. Bill Caller, one of the best coaches in recent memory. You also had Jimmy Johnson, who was big with the Cowboys back in the 90s. He got in. Just all in all, I thought it was a fantastic weekend uh, from the Hall of Fame. So we'll definitely dive into that. After that, we'll stay in the NFL. We will go over the NFC predictions and we're going to specifically focus on the nfc east now that we're done with the afc that we finished up last week we'll stay in the nfl after that we'll talk about Nikhil harry who has been one of the more controversial wideouts for the new england patriots he's having a phenomenal camp so far based on the reports that we've seen we'll talk about whether or not that it can continue into the preseason and then into the regular season as well then we'll transition into Major League Baseball for a little bit. I know Kevin's going to have his, he's going to be rubbing his hands together like Birdman when we talk about the Yankees. They've been on a little bit of a roll for probably the last two to three weeks. And we'll just talk about just like the biggest reasons for why they've seen this recent stretch of success. We'll transition back to the NBA a little bit. Luka Doncic got a Supermax contract, I believe it was a five-year deal, upwards of $207 million. It's kind of a landmark deal for somebody his age to get that type of contract. 
we'll just talk about the impact that that contract will have on Dallas and how it affects their moves moving forward now that Luka is signed long-term with Dallas. And then we'll wrap up the episode with Leandro Ball, who is the third ball brother. He has got his start in the summer league with the Charlotte Hornets, and he's been off to a solid start so far. And we'll talk about whether or not that we could see Leandro being a reliable asset in the NBA, potentially down the road if he continues this type of play beyond just the summer league. So I know it's a lot of topics to cover. It's a lot of ground, but Kev, we got to get right to it. So we'll start with the Olympics just because they wrapped up over the weekend. The United States won the most medals overall. They won, I believe, 113 medals. I don't have the number off the top of my head. Yeah, 113. And they just outpaced China with gold medals. I believe they overtook them on the last day, beat them out by one gold medal. So by and large for the United States, they had a very solid 2021 Olympic campaign. And we're going to focus on the U.S. men's and the U.S. women's basketball team. We'll start with the men first. Um, Despite the slow start that the U.S. men had at the beginning of the Tokyo Olympics, they do end up winning the gold medal. They won their gold medal match against France. They believe they won this game by five points. It was like 87 to 82. It was a rather low-scoring game. But Kevin Durant shined in the biggest stage when it mattered the most. Scored 29 points. Was the best player for the United States that day. And his performance definitely carried the United States to winning another gold medal. It is their fourth gold medal in a row. They have won four from 2008, 2012, 2016, and now in 2020 or 2021, depending on how you want to break it down. So, Kevin, I got to ask you. We saw some criticism from some of the United States basketball players after they won the gold medal, simply just because some of them thought that that the criticism that they received in the beginning part of the Olympics was not warranted because we saw players like Kevin Durant and Draymond Green both letting it well known that there was not a lot of loyalty being shown to the United States despite the slow start that they had. So my question to you is, despite the United States winning gold medal, winning a gold medal for the U.S. men's basketball team, did Team USA warrant criticism for their slow start despite winning a gold medal in the end of the Tokyo the Tokyo Olympics? I mean, if I'm being honest, no. Um, the United States men's basketball team, as I've stated a multitude of times throughout this entire Olympic run, um, is one of the best, if not the best, basketball teams in the entire country. Uh, granted, not having Stephen Curry, LeBron James, and a litany of other American stars uh, may have reflected some of the outcome in terms of how much they struggled. But again, this roster on paper and both uh, both on paper and in person should have dominated the entire world. There should have been no losses. There should have been no struggles. There should have been no hiccups. When you really look at it, it was just a bunch of egos that needed to kind of get it going together and figure out, hey, this isn't all about me. This isn't about isolation basketball. But um, Charles Barkley's comments in which he said, you know, like this Olympic team was 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 subpar, to put it nicely. Um, and a lot of former NBA players coming out and saying that this team needed to get it together. It, it's warranted. I definitely think that it's, it, it was needed 
And I think that it should have been said, and I'm happy that professionals, retired players, and so on and so forth have said what they said because this run was really inexcusable. I mean, we we dodged a lot of bullets by the skin of our teeth, especially this France game. I mean, for the love of God, we won by five points. And once again, we we barely beat France in their, in their late resurgence in the fourth quarter because we were up by 11 points with about three minutes to go. And, and, and at one point, it was almost a two-point game with, I think, 20-something seconds left. Mm-hmm. Absolutely ridiculous. So should this game have even gotten close? No. Should this game have been where it was the entire series? No. And by series, I mean the Olympics as, an, as, as a whole. Um, I mean, I'm looking at the United States men's team and I'm just sitting here looking at percentages like, well, how are we shooting 28% from the three-point line? Why are we shooting that many threes? How are we shooting 66% from the free throw line? Like, are you, are you absolutely ridiculous? Like, there's no reason why we struggle. There's no reason why we should do what we do, but we did. But we got off because we have sheer talent, like Kevin Durant, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, pure score in NBA history. We have Jason Tatum, one of the best up-and-coming under-25 players in the entire NBA, scoring 19. And, you know, like, after that, I I really can't say much because Damian Lillard was just absolutely atrocious this Olympic run. I mean, we're talking about Dame time. Uh, Bro, maybe his watch was broken because... I didn't see a lot of Damian Lillard in this Olympic run. 11 points, 4 of 11 shooting, 2 of 7 from the three-point line. Seems like d Lil just wants to really sit back and shoot and, and, and kind of make these heroic shots look like a regular, uh, a regular occurrence for him. Drew Holiday, he had probably the best Olympic run in terms of consistency throughout the entire team, but he was 5 of 13 from the field. So, I mean... What, what Devin Booker two points like uh, you know Chris Middleton four points Zach Levine five uh, come on now like it's just you look at a team like this and we should have upwards of 110 to 120 points in my personal opinion because you have some of the best scores in the league and you're gonna tell me you lose you win by five to France whose best player is Rudy Gobert at the center position I think it's kind of ridiculous so um, you know shout out to the Benz team for going out there and getting the job done that we all know that they should have done from the get. But to cut them a pass because they won is, is kind of ridiculous because we all know that this team should have won by a, God knows how much more. I'm literally looking at a headline that's next to the box score that I have on my screen. Patty Mills scored 42 points against Slovenia to solidify a, a, a third-place run. Patty Mills basically out-hustled and outplayed the entire United States men's roster this entire postseason, uh, this entire Olympic run in terms of effort, um, scoring and, and just drive of and, and wanting to win, determination, whatever you want to, whatever acronym you want to use. If Patty Mills, a career bench scorer, is out here dominating for the country of Australia, and you have some of the best players on the planet barely scraping ten points, that just shows to me comfort. That shows to me that content. That shows to me they don't really care. They're they're overconfident. I said to Kyle in our first segment after the USA team lost to Nigeria. Nigeria was their first loss, or was it France? Nigeria. I said that this team just the the, the ability to turn the switch on and off is is it's almost annoying because it's like they know they can win, but if 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 they feel like they don't want to play anymore, they kind of just shut down and they're like, oh, we'll save it for the next game. And it's just why if you can blow people out by fifty, like why do you hesitate? Like why do you? not want to play. Can you imagine the teams with Kobe, LeBron, Dwight, Chris Paul, Jason Kidd taking a break? No, because those are competitors. Those are drive those are driven players. Those are players that want to win, win big and dominate in every facet of the word that spells the word dominate. This team is okay with just spelling dom 
because they just feel like they can dominate that much. And they're like, you know what? We're, we're the USA. We're the United States of America. We're the best team in the world. And, you know, if we scrape by, we scrape by. A win's a win. And in, in retrospect, yes, a dub is a dub. A medal's a medal. But I'm not giving them a pass. This Olympic run should have ended in way worse than what it did. But they scraped off because Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant, and that's all. You know, I do want to preface by what I say by saying that, you know, I do want to congratulate the United States men's basketball team for winning the gold medal. This team, this roster, you know, they should be able to win a gold medal fairly easily. And I tell you what, it did not come easy because at the start, I think that they warranted criticism. The fact of the matter is, is that they lost multiple exhibition games before the official Olympic games actually took place. And then in their first Olympic matchup, they dropped one to France. They let France go on like a 16 to two run in the last three minutes of the game. And they dropped the first one. And that's, that was the point in time for me when I looked at this team, like, did they really want to actually be there? Because up until that point, I had no confidence that they were actually going to go out and play dominant basketball. You know, when you lose exhibition games in the manner that they did, they were losing to Nigeria, for God's sakes. That's a team that you should roll over by 30 points. So the fact that they were losing to Nigeria, the fact that they were losing to Australia, that did not bode well for me as far as the criticism that you and I both levied to them. I know you weren't having it after they dropped the exhibition games against Nigeria and Australia. And even more so when they lost to France when the Olympic Games actually started. Then I think they finally got their heads out of their asses and they actually started playing what we would consider pretty solid basketball. Because when you have players like Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Jason Tatum, these guys should be able to score at will. I understand this is not the NBA. They're playing under FIBA rules, so they're not going to get as much foul calls from the refs that they typically do in the NBA. And that's kind of another issue that you know we could talk about later. The fact of the matter is, is that when you look at this team as far as talent goes, they beat everybody around the world by a mile. It's not even close. So the fact of the matter is, I'm glad that they won against France. They were able to get this gold medal. But man, there were times where it looked very iffy. Even against Spain. Kev, they were down by 10 points against Spain in the the semifinal game. They were able to come back and they were able to overcome it. But still, I don't think it's really necessarily a good reflection to the fact that you're down double digits against Spain. Spain is a decent team, but there's no way the United States the United States should be down 10 points against Spain. Now, the, I thought against France, I thought they played pretty well. It was mostly a defensive game because I didn't think that both teams were shooting particularly well that game. But it was like the prediction that I had. Based on what I had seen from the United States up until that point, the United States was going to win that game by like 5, 10 points at most. So the fact that they beat France by five points was kind of like in that range that I thought they would win it in. But I did not expect the score to be that low. So, you know, all in all, I'm glad that they won the gold medal. They should have based on the roster that they have. But when I look at this team and the type of play that they had throughout this Olympic run, I thought they played subpar. And I think they deserve criticism to a certain extent for that. Just because Kevin Durant, Jason Tatum, 
Damian Lillard, these guys should be running laps around the teams that they went up against, and they barely scraped by some of these teams. So whatever Kevin Durant, Draymond Green want to chirp about after winning a gold medal, listen, you know, in the moment they could say whatever they want. But the fact of the matter is they didn't give us much to be loyal about when you're dropping exhibition games in the manner that they were, and then you drop the first game against France. So they could be mad at people that were criticizing them when they were playing like ass the first week of the Olympics. You know, I guess it kind of comes full circle, I guess, because now, you know, they could say, oh, well, you weren't with us the entire time. You didn't ride with us when we were down. But it's like you had no reason to give us any sort of confidence that you were actually going to go out there and win a gold medal when you're dropping games against Australia, Nigeria, and France. So that's kind of my perspective on it. And I think for future Olympic teams, as far as men's basketball go, they have got to be more dominant. And this team, they I think the best way that I could describe it is they scraped by. And that's, I guess that's good enough. But to me, I think you got to perform a little bit better than just scraping by. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you a team that didn't scrape by, and that's the opposing side in the other locker room saying, hey, we've won seven straight gold medals, and that's the United States women's team. I think some credit needs to be given into that locker room because Diana Taurasi and Sue Bird alone since 2004 have Five gold medals each. That's a team that needs to be respected. That's a team that deserves credit and admiration. So let me ask you this. So it's like you said, the U.S. women's basketball team has won seven straight Olympic gold medals, stretching all the way back to 1996. Kev, just how impressive of a feat is that to you? Impressive isn't the word, Kyle. We're, We're talking about a team that has literally won the amount of years we've been alive. That is absolutely ridiculous. 1996, bro, I was two years old. I was just turning two when they started that run. If that's not consistency, if that's not greatness, if that's not dominance to the definition, to a T, I don't know what is. I don't care what people are going to say, oh, what other women are that good? Or what other country in the world... uh, puts in that much effort into female sports. There's no excuse. You're winning gold medals on a worldwide scale. I would say that deserves some kind of credit because you don't just get into an Olympic sport because you're an Olympian or because you're that good. No, 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 no. The the amount of effort and hard work you have to put in and dedication to the craft. The women have a full season too. The women have lives. They They have their own families just like the men's team does, except there's a very big difference. They have something to prove. They are out there fighting to say, hey, we are the best. We're going to remain the best. They're not cocky. Granted, there was a picture of, was, was it Tarasi holding the ball up against the, uh, against the Chinese defender in the gold medal match where the referee was laughing, that famous image, like holding it up like a kid in a playground, like, haha, you can't get it. Mm-hmm. There are moments like that. I mean, at that, at that point, you know what I'm saying? They're having a little fun. Again, I don't know the score or the you know significance of that particular image that was recorded but bro like that that that, that's how good they are like when you're that good and you're winning by that much like then you could be a little cocky not like the men's team sitting here flirting with five to nine point wins 
and then acting like they were the best things in sliced bread. You put this Olympic team in terms of the men versus the 2008 team, this men's team gets absolutely annihilated. But you can't say the same for the women's team because it seems like every year they get better or they're the same because of the consistency and the dominance and how they're, they're, they're winning their games on the court. So to put it to you simply, there is not really a, a, a describable word other than greatness, and they rightfully deserve everything they have coming to them. Yeah, I mean, there's not really much more that I can say other than the fact that it's just a dominant run. Because, Kev, you mentioned that you were two years old when they went when they started this run back in 1996. I was one. And the fact of the matter is, is that throughout that time, throughout that period of time, you know, there could have been a point in time where they slacked off. They could have gotten a little complacent. Look, we're the best team in the world, but we're going to play down to our competition. And they end up getting upset, you know, by some, you know, subpar team from wherever, some part of the world. But that has never happened. The fact of the matter is when you go on a run like this for seven Olympics, that is 28. No, they started in 1996 and now 2021. So, I mean, you're still going 20 plus years. Like, it's just a phenomenal run. And to me, it really does go to show that not only do the United States women's team, are they the best? but they still play up to that standard. They don't fall. They don't falter. The men, they kind of do every now and then. The 2021 U.S. men's basketball team for the Olympics, kind of an example of that. But for the women's, you can't say that. To go on seven straight Olympic gold medals, I mean, I don't know really what else to say other than the fact that it's just pure dominance. And to me, as long as they're playing up to the standard that they've set, I think it's going to continue. I have no reason to believe that it won't continue unless they start getting complacent and start playing down to their competition in future Olympics. But I just don't really foresee that. I think just the culture that they've been able to establish as far as the women team, as far as the women's team goes, I think it's rock solid. And I don't really see any sort of significant change from that standard that they've not only set, but they've maintained the fact of the matter is when you can maintain that type of level of success and dominance, you know, it just kind of becomes the expectation, but people do, I think slack off on just how great of an achievement that is. So as far as I'm concerned, I have to give a lot of respect to the women for going out there and just dominating basketball on a world stage in their respective sport. So you have to give a lot of kudos and a lot of congrats to the U.S. women's basketball team for just not only setting the standard, but just maintaining the standard that they've set throughout multiple Olympic runs in the past. And this is just more of the same. So shout out to the U.S. women's team for getting it done once again. Dude, it's it's amazing. You know, like we we can say that we grew up in an era in which we grew up with the likes of Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant. Um, obviously, the tail end of Michael for for those of us that are a little on the uh, younger side of our twenties. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal, LeBron James, Super, Diana Taurasi, Lisa Leslie, Candace Parker. I mean, like, dude, we're, we're we're talking about pivotal icons 
in the sport of basketball. Like we were alive during the height of both periods. So I think that these people, whether men or women, need to be given the same amount of respect because they're going out there and they're performing at the highest level. And I know we just kind of like shat on the men's team for not giving enough effort. And that is true. But, bro, like they're representing the United States and they're bringing home gold. Whether or not it's at a pace that we would like, whether or not it's in a way that we would appreciate in terms of like, you know, assertiveness, effort, dominance, whatever have you, they're helping the United States look like the most dominant team in the world when it comes to these games. And, you know, I'm not a very big Olympic watcher. I'm not someone that goes out of my way to stay up late and watch those three o'clock, four in the morning uh, events and whatever have you. But, you know, when I do get the chance and I do watch, it's very blatant and obvious that in certain events and categories that, excuse me, I have the hiccups. And uh, I forgot the point I was trying to make. The point of the matter is um, we are just witnessing greatness. And Mm -hmm. it is something that we need to sit back, admire, and appreciate. Because I know that our generation tends to just tends to just fly by, not really pay attention to much, you know, like, oh, we're the greatest millennials, Gen Z, whatever you want to call yourselves. Because before you know it, we're going to be in our 40s and our 50s. We're going to look back at it like our parents are right now and say, damn, like, where was I in 2021 when the United States dominated the world and got 113 gold medals and 39, uh, excuse me, 113 total medals and 39 gold medals? What was I doing when Kobe and LeBron were running through the Olympics in 2008? Like, we can say we watched that. We can say we stood up and, 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 and watched those games in Beijing. We can say we watched Michael Phelps get his medals and Simone Biles get her medals. Like, dude, we're, we're, we're in a great period for sports, and I could not be prouder and happier of this country and the people that represent us because it, 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 I'm going to be able to tell my kids these are stories that I watched live. These are games that I watched myself and events that I can say, damn, I was part of history. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean – it's it's in the moment though. The fact of the matter is, I don't think people truly admire the greatness that they're witnessing in the moment. I think it's always kind of look back in hindsight and it's like, wow, like we really did have something special there. But it's just in the moment, you didn't necessarily appreciate it or respect it as much as you should have. I will say this though, you know, when I was watching Tom Brady go on his run with the Patriots, you know, that was something a little bit different. Because, you know, what I saw with Brady in that 20-year stretch with New England, it it will never be replicated again. Never. You're never going to see somebody have that type of success for that long. Just because in the sport of football, guys don't usually last that long. You know, even with quarterbacks, you know, I know quarterbacks are kind of a little bit different now than they probably were 20, 30 years ago just because, the quarterback position is a lot more t- protected than it used to be. But the fact of the matter is, it's the fact that Brady, up until his 40s, was still a Super Bowl contending quarterback. You know, and it's just, you don't see that very often. You typically look at those individuals as anomalies, somebody that kind of just goes against the typical grain that you see with players that come in and out of the NFL. So, you know, like you mentioned, seeing Michael Phelps winning eight gold medals in Beijing, seeing Simone Biles go on the tear that she did back in 2016, um, seeing the U.S. women's basketball team go on a seven straight gold medals 
stretching all the way back to the nineties. It's just, you have to admire the great, the greatness when you see it. And I just hope people take the time to kind of really respect and reflect on how incredible some of these runs that we've seen from whether it's collective teams or individuals performing at the highest level possible in their respective sport. I mean, you brought up Tom Brady. So, I mean, that kind of transitions us perfectly into the next segment because we had some pretty cool people get inducted into the Hall of Fame this past weekend, man. And, you know, I I got emotional this weekend because it is one of the people, if not the one person that got me into the sport of football, and that is Peyton Manning. Um, It was amazing to watch the icon that got me into my favorite sport enshrined and immortalized in history. And I know you're going to feel the exact same way when Tom goes in because he's going to go down as the greatest quarterback. So I know that's going to be a little bit different, it being your hometown team and, mm-hmm. and, and, and everything else. But, I mean, just like you know the feeling of a favorite player waking up on Sundays excited to see it, being a kid and watching a Super Bowl run or watching a playoff run. And, dude, like seeing Peyton take the, 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 the shroud off for his bust and seeing him get a gold jacket was it was incredible man and and shout out to everybody in both classes in 2020 and 2021 going into the rightful place to be remembered for the rest of eternity in the pro football hall of fame but i mean i could not be happier to say like my favorite player is one of the greatest quarterbacks not only in this generation but in nfl history and it was it, it was a great weekend for me man it was it was amazing it was just really cool to see just because, you know, being a Tom Brady fan for all these years, the one guy that I always had to worry about was Peyton Manning. You know, Peyton Manning up until maybe recently, you know, was looked at as the greatest regular season quarterback ever. You can contend he still is. You can make a very good argument that he's still the greatest regular season quarterback ever. You know, you could say whether it's Brady or Manning at this point, but that kind of, doesn't really matter at this point. It's just the fact that the matter is that Peyton was just, I don't, I don't know if I, I don't even know if dominance like the right word, but just the level of consistency that Peyton brought to the field every single season for the Indianapolis Colts. And then kind of towards the tail end with the Denver Broncos, just, you don't see that very often. And the fact that the matter is, is that Peyton, what did he win? Five MVPs? I mean, I mean, that's unheard of. You don't see that very often. I mean, Brady's the, is Brady's the greatest quarterback ever, and he only has three. So, you know, you have to give a lot of respect for what Peyton was able to establish, just season in, season out. For how long did he play? Almost twenty years in the league, like seventeen, eighteen years, somewhere around there. Nine ninety eight played till. 2014 it, when they won the Super Bowl. So 16, yeah, so, 17 so, years. So 16 years. I mean, just a phenomenal career. You, know, you just have to admire those careers when you see them. And and not only did Peyton get in, you know, you saw Hall of Fame players. You saw Troy Palomalu get in. One of the most. Electrifying the safeties. Yeah. One of the best safeties that we've seen in the game in recent memory. Really like when you think of safeties, within like the last 20 years or so, you think Ed Reed, who's also in the Hall of Fame, and Troy Palomalo. In the same division. 
what rivals you know, going back at it for years you know the, when it came to the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Baltimore Ravens when it came to those defenses those defenses were just so great because of the presence of Troy Palomalu and Ed Reed just what they were able to bring on the field was just phenomenal and it was really just a sight to behold to watch those guys perform at just such a high level Calvin Johnson gets in as one of the best wide receivers that we've seen in recent memory. I know necessarily his stats don't reflect it because his career was relatively short compared to some other receivers that we've seen get into Canton, but still you can't deny the career that Calvin Johnson had, you know, had over 10,000 yards receiving had around 80 career touchdowns. Despite the fact that he played for the lions, which, you know, playing for Detroit, you know, it's like a black hole playing there just because nothing ever seems to go right for them. But I can't deny the greatness that Calvin Johnson had on his run. You know, for me, you know, I know some people may feel a little bit differently about it, but I still think that Calvin Johnson is a hall of fame receiver without question. So, and also just to kind of mention some of the coaches that got in, you know, Bill Cower getting in, I thought was just a great moment. You know, one of the best coaches that we've seen in recent memory, you know, he was able to get that one Super Bowl. Um, I believe it was in 2005. Five, yeah. It was, the, the, year, it was yeah. the year before the Colts won against Sean Alexander and Matt yeah, Hasselbeck. Yeah, that was the year they beat the Seahawks. And that was like Big Ben's like second. Second season. year, yeah, with yeah. Jerome Bettis, the bus. That was his last year. He hung it up on top, Heinz Ward and them boys. So, I mean, all, I mean, really, all together, you know, it was a fantastic weekend for the Pittsburgh Steelers. You had Alan Fanica get in. You had Bill Coward, Troy Palomalu, and there were probably some other guys that I'm missing. Andrew and James, so, Charles Woodson. I mean, like, talk about just a stacked roster for this Hall of Fame class. I know they combined 2020 and 2021 together, but still, all in all, I thought it was a fantastic weekend. No, it, it, it was great. I mean, obviously, you know, my, my favorite inductee is my, my boy. You know what I'm saying? I, I talk about him like he's my best friend. And I'm jealous because my little brother got to meet him at a young age going to an autograph signing with my dad. But, like, dude, like, Charles Woodson, Troy Palomalo, we're talking about some of the most electrifying defensive players of our life. Like, Troy on Pittsburgh, fourth and one, fourth and short, he's he's known for timing it to the snap and jumping over and tackling the quarterback. The man's done it a, a litany of times. We're talking about Charles Woodson. Oakland Charles Woodson and Green Bay Charles Woodson's might deserve two green jackets because – He's historic on both ends. Super Bowl champion on the Green Bay side. Unfortunately, broke his collarbone in the Super Bowl. But mm-hmm. my God, man, I have both their jerseys. Like two authentic jerseys. I'm hunting a Charles Woodson Oakland jersey. Uh, but I, I mean, a shout out to those people that like changed our lives, bro. Like we're, we're talking about people that opened our eyes. Like I want to tackle like Charles. I want to make an interception like Troy. Like. I think of Troy and I think of not only the, the the jumping over on fourth down, but that one-handed catch in the playoffs where like he dove for an interception and he caught it with his fingertips against the Ravens. Like Or the or the one where he, he catches it, I think it was against the, the Tennessee Titans, where he just reaches back with one arm. And and just oh snags my it. God, bro. Like the, guys, I don't think you understand. Like Kyle and I are such football enthusiasts. Like favorite teams aside, 
these players waking up and like being like, oh my God, like our teams are playing today, but like, you know, I'm trying to see like, I'm trying to see these, these individual, like these individual plays, like they were on sports center top 10. They were on NFL countdown. Like they were on everything. Like there was no getting away from it. And like Kyle played the sport day in and day out in high school. And it's like, I know when coaches pull up film, these are players that they reference to. Like they make comparisons and analogies and everything you can think of. So like, I know for a fact that defense was my 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 go-to whenever I did play with my friends or whenever I played flag or rough touch or whatever. Like I always wanted to play safety because of Troy, because of Ed, because of you know if I had to play corner because of Charles, because of Chant Bailey, like Rondé Barber. We're talking. We're we're starting to date ourselves. We're starting to sound a little old now because this generation's never going to know what these guys are. But when you talk about the Hall of Fame, bro, like Canton, Ohio. These players are finally there. Like, how old do you feel right now? Like, I remember watching them our whole life. Like, oh, my God, that's Charles Woodson. And, like, that's Chip Bailey. And it's like, they're retired now. And they're, like, old with gray hair. And, like, I remember my dad would always used to tell me, like, oh, well, you know, you know what, what, do you, what do you think about, like, Ronnie Lott? I'm like, oh. <laughs> like, 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 dad, bro, those guys are mad old. Like, we're talking about these guys right here. And now we're there. Like, yeah. not our parents' age, but, like, now our favorite players are retired and in the Hall of Fame. So it's like yeah. the appreciation is crazy. Yeah, like, I know, like, my dad, like, one of the guys that he would always bring up from back in the day uh, was Earl Campbell. Yes. Earl Campbell, like, one of, like, the best running backs ever, but could just run over people like a freak. The truck. Like, I remember the one play in particular where – He's running like um he's running a draw up the middle. He he takes a juke to the outside and then he cuts to the inside. He just lowers his helmet. I think they were playing against the Rams in that game. He just lowers his helmet into the dude's chest. The dude just falls back on the ground. Earl starts running down the field. He's getting tackled by like two or three guys, and they're basically like ripping his jersey out of his shoulder pads. And it's just like it takes like two or three guys just to get him down, but they got to rip his jersey off of him to essentially tackle him. It's like, you know, but those were the guys back in the day. That's just one guy in particular, you know, that my dad looked up to, to like our parents' generations looked up to. And now, like the guys that we watched as a kid that we idolized when we were younger, now they're old and in the Hall of Fame. Like it's just, it's just wild to kind of like see like that whole journey come full circle. And it's just it's just nice to celebrate those guys' achievements and the coaches' achievements, and to just have everybody come together in Canton, you know, for a weekend together. That is really something special. And I know one thing: just one day, it's got to be cool just to go to one of those enshrinement ceremonies, just to kind of see that in person. I think would be really cool. I would love to go. Are you kidding me? Like, I don't give a shit what kind of class it is or who's in it. And this would have been the one to go to for you with Peyton. If I if if, if I went to that hall of, I probably would have been kicked out <laughs> because of like, what? <laughs> no, 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 I don't need alcohol. I don't need anything stupid or obnoxious, bro. We're we're talking my favorite player in existence. And I was talking about this with my girlfriend the other day. I literally said, babe. I don't know what I would do if I had to choose my favorite icon because I have favorite players, obviously, that made me love each team in Dirk Nowitzki, Peyton Manning, Derek Jeter, Bernie Williams. I mean, the, 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 the God, Kobe Bryant, like God rest his soul. Like, I don't know what I would do if I would be around them 
or like be in front of them. Like people are like, oh, celebrity starstruck. Like, no, 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 no. Like, I don't give a shit about your status. Like you're the person that got me into this sport. You're the person that made me fall in love with this game. Like the appreciation for those individuals is beyond what words can explain. Like, bro, I'm telling you, like I cried when Peyton was inducted and I saw his bust and he got the jacket. Like that man will never understand to me the impact he's had on my life. And I wish I would have been able to display that on a football field to some form of athletic competitive level, like in high school or in college and like dedicate my game to him because I truly fell in love with waking up with my dad on Sundays, sitting at 10 o'clock, either, you know, prepping for fantasy football or talking about, you know, like, you know, predictions with my dad in the kitchen and annoying my mother to the point where 1230 is hitting and I'm just sitting there in my Colts kids jersey, just like ready, uppity and hype to go. And it's like, dude, win or lose, man, like, that was my boy. That is my boy. And, you know, like, I know Peyton's never going to see this, you know, 27-year-old man confessing basically his love for Peyton Manning, but he changed my life forever. And it's like, I, I can never show him enough gratitude or, you know, thanks for that. So him getting enshrined and, and, and the rest of the players, like, dude, these, these athletes have special places in a lot of people's hearts, and I wish people would respect it because this is, this is incredible. We could tag Peyton in this. We could at least hey, tag him. Peyton, man, if you see this, man, I, I love you, bro. Congratulations. You're literally a, 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 the face of the Colts for me. You're, you're my favorite player. You got me into the sport. and I'm ter- eternally grateful for making me fall in love with this. So if you see it, I'm so happy for you. I hope one day I can meet you, um, and we'll see what happens. Listen, I know I got Tom up in the corner, the right-hand corner of my camera, but still, I got to respect Payne for what he did. You know, he never made those AFC battles easy. They were always challenging, and we had to work at it. You know, being a Patriot fan for all these years, it would have been a lot easier without Payne in the way, but Payton is what made it worth it because it was always a challenge going up against him. So it's, the amount of respect that I have for Peyton Manning is through the roof even despite the fact that I'm a Patriot fan, I got to give it up to the guy. My boy, the GOAT. So we'll keep things in the NFL. We're going to start our NFC. We're going to start our NFC predictions. So we finished the AFC last week. We're now going to transition into the NFC East. That'll be the first division that we tackle. Just to kind of give you guys a quick rundown of what took place last year in the NFC East. This division was trash. Straight up garbage. Washington won the division at 7-9. A sub-500 team won the division. The Giants finished at 6-10. The Cowboys finished at 6-10. And and the Eagles finished at 4-11-1. So, Kevin, first of all, do you think that this division will be better in 2021? That's the first question that that I'll ask. Just straight yes or no. And then I'll ask the second question. Define better. Is one team going to be above 500 this year? I hope so. Okay. Not a lot of confidence, I know. It's weird, man. Like, it, it's weird. Okay. <laughs> and the second question I'll ask you is, who do you think is going to win this division this year? If I'm being honest, I genuinely have Dallas winning this division. Dak comes back. Kitty Lamb had a great year. 
Amari Cooper's getting his quarterback back. Zeke Elliott's 10 to 15 pounds thinner. They get some form of a healthy offensive line back. And, you know, God willing, their defense finds some form of improvement. But I just – I can't really see this team losing the division for a second year in a row. I think their, their defense for sure is the, is, is the question mark, is the hole, is the – something that they need to work on, obviously, religiously. But in terms of offense – if Dak is healthy and this offense stays healthy, I don't see a lot of teams being able to compete in terms of their offensive capabilities and firepower. I mean, when Dak played his four or five games, they averaged over 30 points per game. And I don't see them not repeating that success. So, I mean, there are plenty of other players in the NFL and in NFL history that have shitty defenses and find ways to win. I mean, Peyton did it his whole career until we won the Super Bowl and our defense decided to, like, be the best-rated defense in that entire postseason. But, I mean, outside of that, I mean, really... It's possible. This league is made for offense now. That's where this is trending. It's a quarterback-heavy, quarterback-favored league, and I think that the Cowboys are in favor, not only because they have the best quarterback in the division, but they probably have the best offense in the division. You look at New York, you have Daniel Jones sitting there coming into his third or fourth year. Consistency is kind of a a struggle for him, and and offensively, their star receivers are already injured in camp. Kenny Galladay hurt his hamstring, so he's out. No one knows for how long. Um, Kadarius Tony was just put their first round draft choice on the you know reserved to COVID list. Obviously, that is not that big of a deal because he'll be back before the regular season. But could that affect their chemistry? Who knows? Evan Ingram. That's all I have to say on him. And then you know the, the running back position is pretty much a question. You know, then you go and look at Washington, the quarterback position, the most important position. A lot of question marks there. You have Ryan Fitzpatrick, the king of six week to six to eight week success, where he looks like a god. Fitz magic really just comes into fruition. And then, you know, for whatever reason, he falls apart every single year in his whole career. And then you have Taylor Heineke, Heineke, whatever, however you pronounce it. He um, had his one or two starts last season, and he gave Tom a run for his money for the majority of the game in the postseason. But he doesn't have a relevant offensive snap in his uh, NFL career. And then you go into Philadelphia, and you have, you know, there's, you know Philadelphia hasn't even announced a starting quarterback which is kind of weird considering Jalen Hurts is obviously the better quarterback, in my opinion, as opposed to Joe Flacco. But if he's not announcing a starter, is Jalen having a bad camp? Is he not showing anything enough in camp for the coach to, 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 to give him the nod? Um, they, their first-round draft pick, Devontae Smith, he's out with a sprained MCL for the first couple of weeks. Jalen Rager, he was hurt last year. Dallas Goddard, Zach Ertz, that injured offensive line. They have like six running backs on the roster. Uh, the defense has got a lot of injuries in the secondary outside of Darius Slay. So, I mean, again, they're my second team because obviously those are that's my girlfriend and her family's team, and I cheer for them every Sunday. But it's like, when you really look at it, can, can any of these teams outside of Dallas really compete for an above 500 record? And I know that it's going to be a 17-game season, but Kyle, if I, I got to be honest with you, man. I, I really don't see it. I, I, if one is above 500, I wouldn't be surprised. Two would be a shock. But I don't know, man. There's too many holes on every side of the ball on all teams to really sit here and tell me. No, no, I take that back. Washington's defense is pretty fucking stellar. So I will not sit here and disrespect Chase Young like that. But as a, as a unit, I don't know how they're going to find success. Okay. So I'm going to slightly disagree with you. I'm actually going to go with the Washington football team winning the division this year. And it's like you just mentioned. It's going to be because of that defense. 
not only do they have Chase Young on the defensive pass rush, they also have Montez Sweat. Montez Sweat has gonna, is going to have, I think, a solid year going into this season. Now, when I look at Washington, the reason why I'm kind of more favoring them than Dallas, Dallas is going to be my second team in the division this year, is simply because I think that defense is going to be the main force for that team. I think the offense is going to be okay. Because, listen, I Ryan Fitzpatrick, whether he's a starter or Taylor Heineke, I think that offense is going to be able to produce, but I think it's going to be a large part due to the defense stepping up and giving the offense opportunistic opportunities to score. So that's where I kind of see going with Washington. The defense is going to be the main force of the team. It's going to set the offense up nicely. I think they'll probably finish maybe a game or two above 500. That's pretty much where I see it. I think outside of that, I don't really see this team being on the top of the NFC. They're not going to be like 13 and four or 12 and five. I think at best they'll be 10 and seven at best. More likely they'll be nine and eight or eight and nine. There's no guarantee that I think that the divisional winner from the NFC East is going to be above 500 this year. With the Cowboys, look, you're getting, you're getting Dak back. So I think the offense will be able to produce better than it did last year after he suffered that gruesome leg break um, early in the season last year. But I just can't trust their defense. Kevin, they gave up 473 points last year. It's one of the worst statistical defenses ever. Ever. So, I mean, the Lions and the Vikings had worse defenses last year as far as points totals go. The Lions had 519 points given up. The Vikings had 475. Dallas was at 473. So they had a top three worst scoring defense. Okay. And... When your I offense just, isn't putting up points, you're giving the ball back. The defense is exhausted. If you're putting up points, that's more time the defense gets rest. I just don't think that team is going to have enough simply just because I think the defense is going to give up so many points. It's going to put so much pressure on the Cowboys to score. And I think opposing defenses are going to be able to slow down Dak enough. Because let's be honest here. Dak is great in moments. But there are times where... That team struggles to play well offensively. And if they're going up against a good defense, if they're able to lock up Amari Cooper and slow down CeeDee Lamb, if they can slow down those running lanes for Ezekiel Elliott, it's going to leave the Cowboys offense in a little bit of a predicament. And when you look at the defensive side of the ball, they're like Swiss cheese back there. They're going to give up 30 points a game. So I just don't have a lot of faith in the Cowboys this year simply because of their defense, but I still think that they finish second in the division because to me, I have no faith whatsoever in either the Giants or the Eagles. The Eagles are still lingering from all the BS that they dealt with last year. They did have some sort of moderate success with Jalen Hurts compared to Carson Wentz because it looked like to me when Carson was playing, the offensive line did not want to protect him whatsoever. So that that's kind of a, really kind of want to dig deeper into a story, kind of look at the offensive line and how they were pretending Carson Wentz compared to Jalen Hurts. Because I don't think that offensive line really trusted Carson anymore. So I think Jalen Hurts was kind of like a breath of fresh air for that team. So maybe they have a slight improvement from last year. But I think by and large, they're going to be like 5-12, and 12, 
maybe like six and eleven at best. I don't really see that team going much higher than that. And then with the Giants, it's like you mentioned. I just don't have a lot of faith in Daniel Jones. Just there's too many inconsistencies on that side of the ball in the offense. Saquon is coming back. I imagine he'll have a pretty solid year. I just don't know how reliable he's going to be just coming off of that knee injury. But I do expect him to have somewhat of a bounce back year just because he's, I think he's got something to prove after missing last year. I just I need to see a little bit more from the Giants. I, I thought by and large last year, their defense is what kept them in it. Um, it's just the offense just wasn't able to score any points. They only scored 280 points as an offense. This It was the worst offense in the NFC by far. So, you know, they're going to have to definitely step up the offensive production if they're going to be a relevant team to contend with in the NFC East. But I just don't really see that happening. So if I, if I had to go in order, I would have Washington first. They'll win the division. Cowboys will be right behind them. Uh, I'll pick the Giants third. I think the Giants will finish third. And then I got the Eagles at fourth. But that's how I have it set up. But I got Washington winning the division. Yeah, I got the same order. Obviously, flip our division winners uh, back and forth. Uh, I'll probably have Wash, uh, excuse me, Dallas at the same record, 10-7. and seven. I'll say Washington, depending on the success of the quarterback, it, it, it really kind of it really kind of pulls me back and forth. Only because if it's Magic can hold it together, and then Heineke comes in and he kind of you know evens it out, maybe goes five hundred at the start. I could see Washington also tying at ten and seven. I wouldn't be surprised if it's kind of like a final game, winner take all for the division kind of thing. You know, the NFC East always tends to come down to the final week of the season anyway. Um, the Giants. I would agree with uh, six and eleven, maybe seven, seven and ten. If Kenny Galladay can kind of get his act together in terms of health, uh, I would hope Daniel Jones takes a leap of faith and you know takes that next level because the Giants did ride a lot on him coming out of Duke, taking him with the sixth overall pick. Uh, I know I said that the Giants are struggling at the running back position. I totally forgot Saquon got taken off of the pup list uh, today. So I mean, I'm hoping that that offensive line can hold him keep him safe and, you know, give him the holes that he needs because we know how dynamic <clears throat> how dynamic he can be in not only the running game but in the passing game. The, the, the guy is literally a, a player you have to plan and scheme for as a defensive coordinator because of how much of a game changer he can be. And then, you know, as much as I love to cheer for the Philadelphia Eagles, how much they've, they've grown not only in my life but in my heart, you know, like I, I can't see this team succeed as as it is constructed right now. A lot of their cap had to be alleviated between last season and this offseason and next season they'll have some freedom and some more space and some more draft picks depending on where they fall in the draft to kind of rebuild uh Nick Sirianni obviously has a long way to go in terms of turning this team around and there have been rumors circulating that they're looking at possibly trading for Deshaun Watson I was actually talking about this to my girlfriend's family over the weekend I think that's probably the stupidest decision that they can make but that's a segment for another day because we all know that Philly's got no assets, and if they trade away their future for a man that may not be able to even play this season, I feel like that's a, a stupid decision. Howie Roseman's already on the hot seat as a GM. I think if this season doesn't work out for him, he may or may not be out the door. So uh, we'll end up seeing what happens. But, yeah, the NFC East still remains a dumpster fire and a massive question mark in terms of productivity. And the fact that Kyle and I can literally, like, teeter on what team is going to be above 500 is kind of ridiculous. So. 
we'll end up just having to see what happens in the long run this season. But nevertheless, you know, I'm hoping for at least some form of positivity from this division. Yeah, it's just with the NFC East, it, I just think by and large, I think all four teams are very subpar. When I look at the NFC like as a whole, you know, I could just go down the, the list of all the divisions here. Like the NFC West stacked. You got Seattle, you got LA, you still got the Cardinals and the 49ers to contend with. And both of those teams are going to be making some sort of improvements or at least try to make some sort of improvements from last season. I know the 49ers, they just got riddled with injuries last year. So I think they'll try to have a bounce back year. You know, I look at the NFC North, you still got the Packers at the top of the pecking order. You know, the Bears, the Bears are an eyesore, but, you know, maybe they try to improve last year. They were a playoff team still. And then in the NFC South, you got the Saints, you got the Bucks, and then I don't know if the I don't know if the Panthers or the Falcons are going to make any sort of moves. You know, you got the Panthers, they got Sam Darnold. Could they improve a little bit? Who knows? But you know, when I look at the NFC as a whole, I just don't think that I just don't have a lot of faith in really any of these NFC East teams to make any sort of noise in the regular season. If I had to kind of pick one team, it would be Washington. And maybe the Cowboys, just to kind of throw in as an honorable mention, just because it's the Cowboys. The Cowboys always find themselves in some drama, uh, whether it's them actually winning, actually doing something right for once, or if they just kind of follow their mediocre ways by finding some way to lose a game that they've never found to lose before. So, you know, that's kind of how I see it in the NFC East, you know. I do think that the two best teams will be Washington and, and Dallas. Um, but that's pretty much it as far as the NFC East goes, in my opinion. No, I agree completely. What's next on the NFL agenda? We have one. We have right, 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 right. How could I forget? How could I be so silly? The most important part, the part that I am so happy about. I swear, guys, there are a few things in this world that make me happy. But when I see a face like that on the opposite side of the screen, it brings joy to my life. So... Guys, there have been reports all throughout this summer that the Patriots' star wide receiver, Nikhil Harry, has been having an incredible, impeccable, immaculate star training camp. Star? Star, Kyle. Star. Okay. Has been having an incredible offseason. And coaches and executives are looking for Nikhil Harry to have a breakout season. So, Kyle, as my Patriot executive, as my, as my Patriot deep dive Reliable source and fan and friend. What do you think Nikhil Harry's about to do this season? <laughs> okay. So I, I want to start up with some stats. So Kevin, his rookie season, 12 catches, 105 yards, two touchdowns. This is a first round pick, Kevin. First round pick. 12 catches, 105 yards, his first season. Last year, he didn't prove. Didn't prove. 33 catches, 309 yards, but had the same number of touchdowns. He had two. So, Kevin, in his career as a Patriot, first two seasons, first round pick, 45 catches, 414 yards. If I remember correctly, I think Devontae Adams had the same production within a month and a half last season. And this is what Nikhil Harry has put up. In two seasons, being the supposed number one option 
at the wide receiver spot for the Patriots. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. He's having a great camp. Cool. That's fine. I'm happy for him. But you know what? It is training camp. I've got to see some production when it matters the most. I've got <laughs> to see it not just in preseason. Because preseason, you're going up against scrubs for the most part. You're going up against maybe second, third options at those respective positions, whether it's DBs or safeties or whoever. But when it comes to the regular season, I have got to see you separate. You are a receiver. Your job is to get separation from the defender that you're going up against, and he can barely do it. So, listen, Cam's going into his second year. Hopefully that there's some sort of chemistry between the two. Do I expect Nikhil Harry to have a better season than last year? I hope so. <laughs> but I don't think it's going to happen. I can't rely on Nikhil Harry to have a quote-unquote breakout season just because he's having a phenomenal start to training camp. I need to see him produce when it matters the most. I mean, when I look at the depth chart with the Patriots, you got Nelson Aguilar, you got Kendrick Bourne, you got Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry at the tight end spots. Is, you know, Nikhil Harry may be third. Hell, I mean, Gunnar Olszewski may even be third over him. Like, I have to see Nikhil Harry step up. I know that he is capable of doing these things, but he has yet to show me any sort of significant progress up until this point. Now, could he take this training camp start? Could he take it into the regular season? Sure. I'd be more than happy to see that. But I need to start seeing it. And up until this point, I have not. So, I don't know. Bro, Jacoby Myers is a better receiver than Akil Harry. It's like, Jacoby Myers played quarterback in college, for God's sakes. And he's out here making plays where Nikhil Harry has yet to make any sort of plays whatsoever. I don't want to hear it. I'm done. Kevin, what do you think? Um, um, I, I, want, I, I, want you to, I want you to get emotional like that every episode. Shit, that was entertaining. <laughs> Entertaining as fuck. I'm not gonna lie to you. That was great. Uh, I don't give a shit what Nikhil Harry does. If it gets you riled up like this, I hope he sucks. <laughs> oh, just just you wait. If he goes into week one, has like one catch for five yards or zero catches, which is a real possibility with Cam Newton as a quarterback throwing to whoever. Oh, I'll go off. I'll pop off. Guys, guys, guys. I'm, I I just I just want to put it out there. We might do a deep breakdown of every Patriot game this season if it means Kyle's going to give me this much emotion in return. Because we all know I'm the emotional one out of the two. But if I could get that attitude here on a nightly basis, I'm not going to fucking sit here and complain. So I hope the Patriots have a roller coaster of the year because I, I, <laughs> I need this Kyle weekly. See that man up there, Kevin? See that man up there? I know he got you six rings. We're not talking about him right now. We're no. talking about you, Harry, and no. Cameron Newton. Yeah, you don't know where I'm going with it yet. Oh, my bad. One season with Nikhil Harry, and he dips, and he dips to Tampa. And guess what? He wins a Super Bowl. Mm. Not all. It's not all his fault. That's so fucked up. Uh, it's twelve catches. Twelve catches oh. his rookie season. Twelve. All right. First oh, round. Bro, my cheeks hurt. Okay. Um. 
<laughs> my cheeks are killing me. Holy shit. Um, uh, on a last NFL topic that uh, Kyle and I didn't cover on an agenda, Darius Leonard gets a five-year, $98.5 million contract extension from the Colts, making him the highest-paid linebacker in the NFL. Your thoughts on the contract? Because obviously you're ready to know mine. Oh, it's great. Darius Leonard is one of the best up-and-coming linebackers that we've seen in recent memory. I mean, the guy is just a machine. I mean, the guy will average at least 125, if not damn near close to 150 tackles a year. I mean, there's not too many linebackers in the league that where you're going to get that type of production. Bobby Wagner, one of the, the best linebackers in the game. Uh, Demario Davis for the New Orleans Saints. He is somebody who is kind of like in that same level as as uh, Darius Leonard. But the fact that Darius Leonard uh, got this contract from the Indianapolis Colts, it's well-deserved. I believe that it's the highest, he's he's the highest paid linebacker in NFL history with this contract, correct? Yes, sir. So I, I truly believe that he deserves that contract. He is the leader of the defense, as far as I'm concerned, for Indianapolis. And he is going to be a rock for the Colts for potentially 10 years down the road. This guy is going to be a dynamic player for the Colts for the foreseeable future. I, I have to hear what you have to say about this because I know you're probably just giggling inside the fact that they were able to get this deal done. Well, first and foremost, I knew this offseason going into it. Our primary um, focus was to re-sign Braden Smith, our right tackle, and then get Derek's, Darius Leonard uh, re-signed. And, of course, you know, Quentin Nelson and, and, and the litany of other players on this offensive line as well as on this team that have been focal points since we've had our resurgence um, since Andrew Luck left. And Darius Leonard's only Achilles heel is, of course, injuries. I mean, the, the man has missed a litany of games over the course of his three years in the league. Um, granted, they have not been massive amounts of time, but they have been a good amount nonetheless. And I believe that um, if Darius can just stay healthy, he really can be the best linebacker in football. I mean, you look at his stats compared to, to to Warner on the 49ers who just got his contract a few weeks back, and I sent it to Kyle, and Darius blows him out of the water with about six less games played in every statistical category. Tackles, sacks, interceptions, touchdowns, forced fumbles. I mean, you name it, he's done it in the same amount of time. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I really look at Darius as not only the key, but the heart and soul of our team as a whole on both sides of the football because – when Darius plays well, our team does well. And when Darius forces turnovers, our offense gets it going. He's the emotional leader. He's the guy that, that, that motivates this locker room and rightfully deserved. But again, right now he's hurt in training camp. So again, that Achilles heel is kind of showing right now. So we're kind of hoping that he's ready for uh, you know preseason, maybe even week one. But we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm a little nervous that he hasn't really been getting any reps thus far in training camp. And who knows how much he gets in the preseason. But Darius Leonard as a whole... Happy we were able to draft him in the second round just a few years back and to see where he's gone and what he's become. I could not be happier, and it goes to show, man, you do not know what you're going to get out of the draft because I know that people rated him as one of the worst draft picks in NFL history because no one had heard of him, and everyone's eating their words. Do you think he has the potential to win Defensive Player of the Year somewhere down the line? Absolutely. He's the all-around package. The man can cover in the middle of the field. The man can cover in the slot. He can force the fumble. He can catch the the football. He can sack the quarterback. And he's a game changer. The man literally knows how to make plays. So, yes, I definitely see it. If, if Luke Heakley can win it, why, why can't Darius? 
yeah, I, I think it's definitely a fair point. Just because, I, I mean, the type of production that you're getting from Darius Leonard at this point, I mean, you're talking about maybe only three or four other guys across the league that can do the damage that he does in the games that he's actually played. So, I mean, you know, getting the contract that he got, what was it, like five years, like $98 million? Five ninety five. Oh, excuse me. Five for ninety eight point five. That's a solid contract. I, I yeah. think. I think. I think fifty something million guaranteed, which is the highest guaranteed money for a defensive player in some time. That's a so, solid. That's a solid, solid bro. Contract. It's a fucking. It's a ridiculous so, contract. Shout out to the boy Agent Man because he got the bag. Yes, bag sir. alert. It's, man, it's, it's, Kyle and I talked about it at the top of the episode right before we started recording. We might make a segment called Bag Alert because there have been some players getting paid this last couple weeks. And Lord knows it is entertaining as shit to see some of these NFL, NBA, MLB players getting these contracts that they rightfully deserve. And holy shit. They got to thank their agents for pulling these miracles, my guy. These agents out here making it happen. (laughs) We want to talk about agents. There's one player in particular, Kyle, I have been talking about this entire NBA offseason, and that's fucking Kelly Oubre. (laughs) 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 Kelly Oubre has been robbing teams blind the last two years, (laughs) and he got the Charlotte Hornets to pay him $26 million for two seasons. Man, what the fuck is going on with the Hornets, man? Is Michael Jordan smoking that shit? Because there's there are ways worth that money after what he produced last season. I'm telling you, man, these agents, I, I don't know what they're do. I, I don't know what they're doing, but you said like they should be like the, in these freaking war rooms for politics or something. Bro, if, if if an NBA agent can convince one of the, if not the greatest basketball player of all time to give Kelly Oubre Jr. twenty-six million dollars, I think he has the right to sit in the Oval Office and look Joe Biden in the face and say, I don't think we should nuke this country. (laughs) Then here's why. It's ridiculous. There's no way that these agents are getting players of his magnitude that much money. No shot. But they're making it happen, so you got to respect the hustle, my guy. I mean, you know who's making it happen? My fucking boy, Luka Doncic, who's out here getting the fat bag, okay? Five years, $207 million getting paid, my boy. He's out here in Slovenia, and the entire Mavs front office flew out there and said, you know what? We're going to give you this money right now. Sign this Supermax deal, and it's tied into Dallas until, what? what, I can't do math. What, 2026, 2027? It's it's absolutely insane. So hyped that this deal got done. Shout out to Luka for being one of the most productive players in this NBA at such a young age at 22, carrying the Mavericks to two playoff berths. And, you know, maybe some playoff wins would be nice, you know, like series wins, but we're working on it. We're getting there. So, I mean, Kyle, I mean, what what, what do you have to say about this contract? Because, you know, I'm hyped as shit. Oh, it, it's great for Luka. I mean, Luka deserves it. He's one of the best players under the age of 25 that we've ever seen. So, to me... I'll be honest with you. You were a little bit hesitant a couple of weeks ago, even a couple of months ago, about the, about this deal maybe not going through because of all the drama that had taken place with Rick Carlisle being gone, their GM being fired in the process, and there was there was a little bit of hesitancy on your part on whether or not that this deal could get done. I was on the mindset that this deal was going to happen. It was just a matter of 
when, not if. So I am glad that Dallas and Luca were able to come to terms on this deal. I mean, five years, $207 million. That's wild. And he's how old? 20... 22. Hey, for, for, for a point of reference, guys, Steph just signed a four-year, $215 million deal at age, what, 33, 32? He's in his and mid-30s. Luca got this at 22, just to put that all into perspective. Yeah, wait till he re-ups when he's 27. I mean, Jesus. I mean, you're, you're going to potentially be talking about damn near $275 million at that point down the road, potentially. I mean, hey, man, Mark Cuban said it last year. There's no way he lets Luca walk out of Dallas, and he would rather let his wife divorce him than let Luca leave. So I feel like that statement was very much justified. I mean, Luca is going to be the best player in basketball at some point. Within the next three to five years, he will be the best player in basketball. I agree just because, completely. just because you still have to get through Steph, you still have to get through Katie, and those guys, their production will start to dip once they get into their mid to late thirties, and then that's where I think you're just going to see Luca take off, and he will be the face of the NBA without a doubt. Now, the question that I have for you is, where does this leave Dallas now? What's their next move? As a whole, in terms of the organization, we re-signed Tim Hardaway Jr., we signed Reggie Bullock, we signed Sterling Brown. And that seems to be it. We brought back Willie Cauley-Stein, and there's a couple of other players on the roster that were either looking to move in the acquisition or attempted acquisition of uh, Goran Dragic. Uh, maybe there's a couple of, of other free agents that maybe Dallas is looking to acquire, but from what I'm understanding, what I'm hearing in terms of the rumor mill and Dallas's front office, they believe that we're done. In terms of free agency, I'm not going to believe that until Goran Dragic is either in Toronto and signs an extension or is in Dallas come opening night. So we'll see what happens on that front. But as an organization, I don't know if this is enough for us to go out there and compete and win a championship. KP is really going to have to come out here and show me that he can carry the load in terms of his ability as a second fiddle, second superstar, as a running mate with Luka. Jason Kidd's got to show me that he can run this team properly. Nico has got to show me that he can run from the GM side. And, you know, so on and so forth. You know, the, the structure of the team itself from a roster perspective is not a good one, especially not to compete in the Western Conference. I see us kind of flirting with the six through eight seeds for the remainder of this time until we clear up some cap space and go maybe acquire one other big free agent name, uh, depending on K- how KP does this season. Maybe trade him in the offseason because we know we have another two years left on that deal after this year. So I, I, I really do not know what's going to happen. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily excited for the coming season because I know that it's going to be a struggle to watch basically the same exact roster do the same exact thing we did last year. But, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. I don't know if Goran Dragic will help this team kind of solidify the point guard position. I don't know if bringing back Dennis Smith Jr. on a veteran minimum deal because there's apparently mutual interest in both parties to bring him back. But... He thrived under the Rick Carlisle system, so I don't know how, what he's going to do under Jason Kidd's system. There's a lot of moving variables and pieces as a Mavericks organization and as a fan to really say that we're going to be able to make any type of noise. Can we upset teams in a seven-game series? Absolutely. You saw the Clippers series. We had no business doing what we did with them. Kawhi Leonard absolutely obliterated us. Paul George did, had, had his way with us. But we were there in almost every game except for one. So I'm not going to say that a championship run like we had in 2011 is impossible. It just seems unlikely. And until we make another move in terms for a big-ass free agent, I don't know if we're going to be able to do anything 
in Lucas Prime. Yeah, I think what you guys have to essentially get is a legitimate and consistent running mate alongside Luca. I don't think Kristaps is that guy. You know, the way that I could see it maybe working out with Dallas in the long term to try to bring in, you know, a solid number two is you're going to have to package probably three players and a lot of draft picks to get somebody in. It's going to have to be something like, you know, Kristaps, maybe Tim Hardaway Jr., and then maybe another player on top of that, and then probably like maybe like three or four draft picks to bring in a solid running mate alongside Luka. I don't know who it would be. I'm just thinking hypothetically down the road, but we'll see what happens. That's what's going to have to be at some point. I just, I don't really know. You know, I guess like maybe like a good number two, maybe down the road that could be available. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. about Bradley said he doesn't want to leave. Obviously you have Damian Lillard staying in Portland you have the Lakers trying to assemble a, a nursing home of, of, of a super team. And then the Nets doing their own thing. So I, I, I don't know what free agents are going to want to come this way. You know what would be an interesting fit for them? Because mm. I, th- I think they need some sort of defensive help. I don't know why. It, it, it's not going to happen. What do you think Jalen Brown would be like for this team? I think Jalen Brown will be a great addition to this team, not only because of his defensive capabilities, because he knows how to put the ball in the basket. Great three-point percentage shooter. Great guy that can finish at the rim. Uh, a athletic. A, a legitimate number two player to go alongside Luka. Agreed. But I'm pretty sure that Jalen signed an extension last season, right? I, 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 I know. I'm, I'm just playing hypothetically. But that was just like a name. Where I'm thinking, like, who's a solid number two that would fit really well with Dallas? If I'm being honest, I was really looking forward to the acquisition potentially of Marcus Smart because of his defensive mindset and his capabilities to be able to guard the positions of one through three. And uh, that that obviously never happened. But, I mean, players like that that can really vocalize on the court and then envision their defensive presence and can really go out there and play defense is something we need because our issue was the fact that we can never stop the ball. Our issue was never the offense. Our issue was never putting the ball in the basket. It was stopping people from scoring on us. Yeah. And if we continue to bring people that just know how to score or people that can shoot, what is that going to do for us? Mm-hmm. I thought that the acquisition of um, – oh, my goodness. Of course, now I'm going to forget it. Oh, James Johnson and Wes uh, Awandu, or however you pronounce his name, was a great fit for us. And then for us to package them for J.J. Redick, and, and and Nico just did not seem very smart at all. We had a guy that barely played in Nico, and then J.J. Reddick played a total of like seven games for us, which was absolutely stupid in the games that he did play. He didn't really do anything offensively, and he was a defensive liability. So it was like, I don't know what Donnie Nelson was thinking on that front because that defensive presence in, in, in uh, James Johnson could have helped potentially slow down um, Kawhi Leonard in this postseason. He could have made an effort to be long and physical with Paul George. I think if we don't do the trade for J.J. Reddick, we might win this Clipper series because we have an actual big body in James Johnson, an enforcer, a physical force to go out there and make stops on the other end. But, you know, who the fuck am I? I know nothing. Yeah, it's just, you know. Oh, man, I'm just kind of salty now. Now I'm actually getting boiled up. I know. Just, listen, it's your team. You're, you're always going to be frustrated when it's not going right for your team. I get it. I get it. It's just, I was just literally just trying to think of like some like really like number two some solid number two options to go alongside Luca, But 
I think for the most part, they're all locked up. Yep. So we will see what kind of run Luca can do by himself. Because we all know Dirk Nowitzki was able to do it in 2011 with no superstar help. Can Luca follow in his footsteps with Kristaps Porzingis, maybe kind of playing a uh, Jason Terry kind of fiddle and saying, yo, I'm going to need some help here. Eventually. You know, you got you, you to gotta be ready. If Luca can do it, honestly, I might name my first son Luca. I'm not going to lie to you. So uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, Bay might shut that one down, though. She might. I mean, she has a not a big crush, but she thinks Luca is quite attractive. So who knows? Doesn't she like Boban? No, no, no. Well, we love Boban as a player, as a person. She has a big crush on Maxi Kleba. Ah, I see. I see. That might be the first. That might be the firstborn. Pain that might be the firstborn name. Maybe pain. But pain. we are going to transition to a team that is actually playing fairly well recently. So we'll transition into the MLB portion of the episode, and we're going to talk a little bit about Kevin's New York Yankees. So currently, as it stands right now. The Yankees are in third place in the AL East. They are 61-50. and 50. However, they have been on quite a hot streak the last couple of weeks. Currently in their last 10 games, they are 8-2. and two, And they had a pretty solid series against... They went up against the Mariners, correct? Yep. And now they are going up against the Kansas City Royals. Kevin has his own thoughts and opinions on how that series is going to go. But Kevin, I just have to get your opinion on what has been the biggest reason for the latest stretch of Yankee success in your mind? If I'm being honest, I think it's the fact that the team now senses that the front office is putting all their eggs in the basket of winning now. Um, A lot of players, a lot of uh, analysts, as well as fans thought that the Yankees were going to be in sell mode in terms of getting rid of some of their assets to to kind of unload on some contracts and kind of give up on the season, maybe call it a wash, maybe build the farm system up. And we ended up being very, very, very big buyers. Uh, we got a couple of pitchers. We obviously got Rizzo. We got Joey Gallo. And we made those moves. And I think the team really sensed that. And that really drove the team as a whole to be motivated to play better, to play tough. And you see a lot more effort kind of being put into these games. I mean, our offense has been fucking ridiculously hot over the last 10 games. I mean, we scored 14, 10, I think like six in in, in the like three straight games. And it was kind of Insane considering in one game against the in Baltimore against the Orioles, uh, we lost like 14 to nothing. And we kind of turned it around right after that loss. And we just absolutely started annihilating the competition. And, you know, it's crazy. Uh, the majority of our roster is kind of hurt and or on the COVID list. I mean, we have Severino, Rizzo, Chapman. Um, good God, of course. Oh, Glaber Torres just got put on IL. We have just a litany of players that are just, you know, in and out of the lineup because of different reasons. And we're out here on the tear that we did. Like Kyle said, 8-2 and two in our last 10. We lost to the Mariners in the closeout game of the series 2-0. to zero. And right now, I believe we're up on the Royals. But as a, as a team, we look like we have absolutely changed our mentality and our attitude and our mindset into the remainder of this series. And we are just, we're just killing it right now, man. I mean, we're, just, we're doing what we need to do. The starting pitchers are getting into the 5th, 6th, and 7th innings. Our bullpen is doing what they need to do and carrying through. Uh, Araldis Chapman has found a way to turn it around from his midseason struggles, and he's been able to save about four or five consecutive games for us. Of course, now that I mentioned the Yankees are winning, the, the Royals just tied it up at two. But, um, I mean, when we get these players back, when we get Severino back, when we get Kluber back, it is going to be hell on earth for a lot of opposing teams. 
because we're getting our pitching staff back and our hitters are actually putting runs on the board. DJ LeMahieu's waking the fuck up. Anthony Rizzo has been nothing short of spectacular since we've acquired him from the Cubs. Joey Gallo's been doing what he needs to do. Uh, Brett Gardner just had a walk-off the other night. And, I mean, it, it really does look like the Yankees are finding a groove and at the right time because, as everybody knows, going into the end of August, or should I say going into the beginning of September where baseball starts to actually matter, this is going to be when everything comes to, to a boil. This is going to be where that, that final weeks of the season matters in terms of divisional record, uh, overall record for the season, of course, with playoff implications and like, you know, rankings. And I think the Yankees can make a push. I don't know about a World Series push, but I think we can make it to the ALCS if we continue the tear that we're going on right now. And coming from where I was about a month ago, I am definitely in a way better, way more confident place. And I hope we can maintain this level of success because it's definitely fun to see the Yankees having fun. You know, you can see it. My friend Tantina was at uh, a couple of the games this past week, and he said that, like, the team overall just looked like they were having fun, and he can see it. And it just looked like the team was just really, really, really putting in a fourth a lot more effort. And you love to see it as a Yankee fan. It's about time. Because I'll tell you what, middle of July, early July, you were not happy. You were, you were basically saying the season's over. Like, you just didn't see a lot of momentum with this team. And it was like, you know, people were asking whether or not that they were even really contenders in the AL anymore just because they just really weren't showing it. Then the front office makes some huge moves. I thought Brian Cashman really kind of saved the team so far. I think with those moves, I think he has done more than enough to salvage this season. Not only salvage it, but to completely turn it around and to make you guys a playoff contending team if you guys are able to squeak in into a wild card spot or potentially take the AL East. I know just a month ago, that seemed like an impossible idea to float, but they're only six games, six, six and a half games back of the Tampa Bay Rays at this point. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to rule it out. I still think it's highly unlikely that the Yankees will win the AL East, but I do think that they're in a much better spot to get a wild card spot. And then once you're in the playoffs, look, anything can happen. To me, when I look at what happened with the Yankees, once they made those moves, and after that 14 nothing ass-whooping that you got from the race at the end of July. Orioles, Orioles. You guys got it against the race. The Orioles like, annihilated us 14 nothing. There was there was one race game in particular where it's 14 nothing. I'm looking at the box score right here. But then you guys, went, you guys went up against the Marlins. You guys did work against them. You guys did work against the Orioles. And you guys did work against the Mariners. If that hey, continues, it? if that continues, going up against the Royals, and then you guys have a series with the White Sox, you have a one-game matchup against the Angels. It's probably a makeup game. And then you guys have got the Red Sox for a three-game series in the middle of August. If you guys can continue the type of success that you guys have had the last two weeks, I think you guys have a very good shot to overtake the Red Sox for second place in the AL and essentially cement a wild card spot. But these next two weeks are going to be critical for you guys because you guys are on a good stretch right now. But if you guys falter, I think it's going to leave the Yankees in kind of a vulnerable spot. So to me, everything's kind of riding on these next two weeks. If they do work in these next two weeks, they could ride into September 
on just a huge hot streak. And look, that could carry throughout the entire playoffs. Sometimes you just have to get hot at the right time to make an impact. We've seen it happen time and time again. And I think it's all about runs, man. It's all about runs. But but the but the fact of the matter is is that the bats are alive and the pitching has been stellar as of late. So if you keep that up, hey, anything could happen. That's all I'm saying. Excited for postseason baseball to say the least. Shit. Dude, it's coming. It's only it's only a month and a half away. Six weeks, bro. It's only a month and a half away. So before I mean, you know it, it's about to be here tomorrow. Oh yeah. For sure. For sure. Now, we do have two segments left to talk about. I know we mentioned um this topic last week, but now we have seen some movement. We've seen some we've seen an agreement take place. Messi is no longer on Barcelona. He gave a a tearful press conference after his tenure ended with FC Barcelona this past weekend. And with an ESPN report that I was going through just before we started the episode, there is an agreement in place that will see Messi start with PSG in this upcoming season. There's a two-year deal, and it is a monumental move for European soccer. I mean, Messi has been just one of the most dominant players in La Liga for over a decade. And to see him essentially become a free agent, and now he will take his talents to Paris for PSG. Kevin, I have to ask you, how does this move for Messi to PSG affect European soccer as a whole? I mean, this absolutely puts PSG on the map as one of the greatest European clubs in the in in the world right now. I mean, honestly, I mean, you, you're talking about a three headed monster in Neymar, in Messi, and obviously in Mbappe uh, on, on that front line right there. And I mean, that, that that really takes a toll on opposing defenses because you really have to pick your poison. Do you want Mbappe driving down? Do you want Neymar driving, or do you want Messi driving? And I mean, realistically, I'm pretty sure neither of them are a good option one on one on a breakaway. But I mean, like when it comes to playing team oriented soccer, we know that Messi's used to three headed monsters. We know that Messi and Neymar have history playing on Barcelona together. It's just a matter of can Mbappe keep up with the two of them, and I think that he can very well keep up with them. Obviously, we know Chelsea is one of the better teams in the European soccer. And, of course, you have Juventus with Cristiano Ronaldo and a litany of other teams that really make differences in this part of the world. But you have probably the best player in La Liga over the last decade or so, now that Cristiano Ronaldo has left uh, a couple of seasons ago, coming over to one of the better teams in Europe. And now he's going to already add to a very strong and powerful offense that PSG already has. And... It being my club team makes me feel very good because it's going to make me want to watch a lot more games. And granted, a lot of those games are on in the wee hours of the evening and early, early mornings because of the time difference. But if I can catch a game or two, I definitely do try to watch. But Lionel Messi is going to make a huge impact, not only for just PSG, but like Kyle said, European soccer as a whole. Because I think in this next coming Champions League, Lionel Messi is going to make a big difference. And I think that this team is going to go very, very far. Yeah, I mean, the way that I currently see it, I have to put PSG as the betting favorite to win the next Champions League. I mean, this is a roster, like you said. Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe. 
I mean, even if one of those guys has a bad game or is just not playing up to snuff that day, you've got two superstars to contend with alongside Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe, depending on which one has a bad day. So I think this is a huge move for PSG. It puts them at the top of the list, not only in French soccer, but just European soccer as a whole. This is a monumental move simply just because you're getting the best player in the world of soccer out of nowhere. You know, this was supposed to be a done deal for Messi to stay with Barcelona just a couple of weeks ago. Messi was already kind of verbally in agreement with Barcelona to stay with them on a five-year deal. That would have essentially carried him into his late 30s. And at that point, he probably could have just walked away from the game saying, you know what, I've done what I needed to do, and that's it. The tables get turned because of some cap issues that Barcelona didn't want to resolve. I was actually in the mindset that Barcelona didn't want to keep him. And it seems like to me, despite the reduction in salary that Messi had offered to Barcelona, Barcelona didn't really budge that much, and they still ended up moving on from Messi. So it kind of tells me where Barcelona's head was when it came to you know, the situation with Messi. But I think now that Messi's on PSG, this could be a situation where you could get a, a better version of Messi than we've seen in previous years. It could be... Like, it could be a move that I see from him as, look, he's got something to prove. He's on a new team in a new environment. And I think he's going to show what he's all about. I mean, he's one of the best players to ever play the game. And I expect nothing but that when he starts playing for PSG within the next couple of weeks. It is going to be fun watching that team. I mean, I don't watch soccer often. But... With Messi on that roster, alongside Neymar and Mbappe, it's going to be must-watch soccer because they are going to just—they're just going to score goals. Just—I mean, those guys are all killers when it comes to shooting on goal, and you got to pray for like teams they have to go up against because if all three of those guys are on point, good luck trying to stop that. Yeah, no, it's going to be a definite struggle for any opposing defense to kind of, like I said, pick their poison and really figure out what it is that's going to happen and what, what what they're going to do. But as a whole, as a PSG fan, super happy. Happy that the deal got done. Happy that Neymar chose to come to the better club. And uh going to have to see what happens this upcoming season because Lord knows I'm happy as shit and I can't wait to get me a damn Messi jersey. Yes, sir. I think you could actually still – there's still like Barcelona Messi jersey still being sold outside of – uh the stadium. Listen, you know, it is what it is. You know, sometimes these best players just reach a point at the tenure with their own, with their club or with their team, and they just go separate ways. You know, in the NFL, it was Peyton Manning with the Indianapolis Colts after a decade plus. With Tom Brady, it was basically twenty. He ends up going to Tampa. You know, these guys are all these guys could always be on the move, and I I was always in the mindset that I thought Messi was going to stay with Barcelona, but didn't happen. So, you know, I, th- I thought it would have been cool to see Messi end his career with Barcelona, but just didn't happen to be the case, you know, and that's why he kind of was, he was very emotional in that press conference when he was saying his farewell. Yeah, no, it was, it was warranted. I mean, the man's been there, what, since he was a teenager, right? I forget the exact year it, that he came like into Barcelona. 
It's like a kid. Like so, I mean, like Bars is his whole life. That's all he knows. They've done everything for him. They took the shot on him, and he's been there for God knows how long. So, uh, yeah, you hate to see you know relationships with teams ending the way that they do, and you know you really kind of feel for him because that's all he does know. But at the end of the day, these sports are businesses, and this is what it comes down to. And if a player like Messi is going to get the treatment that he did. I feel like that goes to show that nobody's really safe in this athletic world, no matter what kind of contract you have, no matter what you bring to the table, because, I mean, he's done just so much for them, and for it to end the way that it did just kind of sucks, and you you really kind of feel pain for the guy. So uh, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like what he did wasn't warranted and how he felt wasn't authentic or real, but, dude, he's going to have a great time out there in Europe. He's going to have a good time playing for PSG, and uh, hopefully they can have some early success. And if they do, uh, you know, I'm not going to say he's not going to miss Barcelona or the success or the relationship they have with his teammates, but I'm hoping that it'll make that transition a little bit easier for him. Oh, for sure. So we have reached the last topic for the episode today. We're going to transition into some NBA. So as it currently stands right now, we have the NBA Summer League ongoing. You know, this is where you kind of get to see a lot of these draft picks that were recently picked in this draft kind of showcase their skills uh, before the season starts, I believe in October or November. I don't know when the actual start of the season is going to be, but it's going to be sometime around October. So, but one standout in particular has been making waves so far in the first couple games that we've seen. Uh, Leandro Ball. he is playing with the Charlotte Hornets summer team and the first two games that he's had have been pretty solid. He is the third ball brother. You know, Lonzo was the first one. You had LaMelo was the second one. He is also on Charlotte as well. Now that LiAngelo has made it to the NBA after some time playing basketball overseas, he's now getting his shot in the NBA. So, Kevin, my question to you is, is if LiAngelo can continue the success in the summer league, could he potentially be a reliable asset in the NBA in the future? I mean, I hope so. Um, you know, the road that he kind of went down with him being a freshman at UCLA and then getting kicked off and then going to play professional ball with LaMelo out there in Lithuania and obviously Lonzo struggled success in Los Angeles at the time kind of led a lot of people to believe that maybe the Ball brothers weren't going to be as successful as they were. And, you know, Lonzo had a turnaround season uh, there in New Orleans this year and LaMelo was one rookie of the year. So you really look at it like, damn, was was LeVar crazy this whole time? Or was he, a, was he a genius betting on his kids being as successful as they were? And you kind of want to root for LiAngelo because it's like, yes, he did it to himself in terms of you know productivity and, and, and how he handled uh, being in the limelight at his age. And, you know, you, you kind of feel for how things happened in Lithuania and, and you know, with the way that it, things ended. And, of course... Him being signed to the Pistons roster on a two-way deal and then getting cut right before the season started or, you know, right a, a couple of games into the season without getting really much of a chance to earn his stripes, it, it kind of sucked. So we all know that he can play. We all know that he's talented. We all know that he might be probably the best shooter out of the three brothers because he's just he just seems like the guy that has like the most consistent stroke. And what's crazy is people don't really realize is he averaged the most points out of all three ball brothers in Chino Hills. He averaged like 28 points a game in high school, which is kind of crazy considering the amount of talent that was on that Chino Hills roster. And that is like everybody on that starting five. So um, 
you really hope Leangelo Ball is able to make a difference, make this roster and kind of show out and, you know, help his brother go out there and compete in the Eastern Conference. I don't know anything about Charlotte making some noise in terms of playoff noise, but, you know, you, you want to see the success for LeVar and his kids. And, you know, you, know um, you can only really cheer for him. I know LeVar comes off very brash, arrogant, annoying, uh, condescending sometimes, depending on who interviews him. But, I mean, he was right. Him wearing that hat, to that summer league game yesterday or two days ago that, that said, I, what was it, Kyle? I told you so. Mm-hmm. It, it really speaks volumes to the faith that he had in his boys to be able to go out there and succeed in this league. And, I mean, it, he was right. I mean, two out of the three so far are doing very well, and you can only hope that the third one finds a way to make it and does what he needs to do to make it a trifecta. Yeah, I, I don't know if I have a lot of faith in Leangelo as like a long-term prospect in the NBA, but his career out of all the three ball brothers has been the most interesting, just based off of the controversy that he had by was it was it a shoplifting incident when that the UCLA team went over to China yep. trip, you know, you considering know, he's rich, that, that, that made no sense to me. And, whatsoever. And, you know, it, and he was definitely marked for that, you know, and I, and I think, you know, kind of, well deserved because I'm like, it seems kind of stupid to kind of steal something when you're on an international trip when you, you're just out there. You're rich. Trouble. It makes no sense. Yeah. So you know the one thing that I want to see from Leangelo, just to continue his development as far as his shooting goes. So when he was playing, I, I believe somewhere over in Europe, I forget where in particular, but Lithuania. Okay, Lithuania. I remember the one season that he played there, though, at least the one stat that I have, was that he averaged somewhere around like 10 to 15 points a game and that he averaged, I think, 41% behind the three-point line, which is pretty solid. But you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. It is Lithuania basketball. So you're not necessarily playing up against star-studded talent, but I imagine it's probably better than nothing. So... You know, that was definitely some experiences that he could take, you know, into this experience with the Charlotte Hornets. Um, hopefully he just continues to develop his game. You know, he's, he's relatively young. He's in his early 20s, so he's still got a long way to go. He's you know, like 22 or something. Yeah, he's still very young. So does he have the chance to kind of be what Lamella was in his rookie year? I doubt it. I thought Lamella was sensational his rookie season. Lonzo, Lonzo's had an up and down career so far, but I think by and large, I think Lonzo's career is in an upward trajectory. He went from somebody that had a broken shot when he came into the league to a well-rounded basketball player now. When it comes to Leangelo, I think Leangelo is probably, I would say kind of more offensive oriented than defensively oriented, but I don't know much about his game. But, you know, if he could shoot consistently from the field, that's the best that I could ask for him. You know, if he could average maybe 10 to 15 points a game in this summer league, I think that'd be great for him. And I think it definitely sets up an interesting scenario on whether he can make, you know, the Charlotte's, he can make the Hornets roster uh, going into the season because he may get some playing time this season. I don't know how much, you know, he could end up on the G League you know, for most of the season and then maybe get some spare time, you know, for the Hornets some point later in the season. But still, 
it, it's going to be interesting to watch to see where Leangelo's career goes now that it's just starting in the NBA. I mean, he had 16 points in 16 minutes in the last game, right? So, I mean, obviously... He had 10 he, to 5 in this one, in the second game. So, he's making his impact known. Obviously, his name carries some kind of weight in terms of people in the summer league that are, you know, being paid mind to, being paid attention to. So, you can only hope that he continues to do what he's been doing. And it seems like he's a very consistent stroker in terms of his shooting ability. So... You know, if, if if he comes off the bench just for that sake, to play with his brother, then so be it. I mean, at that point, you know, you get a contract, a two-way contract, whatever. You get a 10-day contract. You got to prove yourself. Everybody knows in all those sports, when you get that opportunity, you have to make the most of it. So you can only hope that he succeeds, he does well, and he's able to, like I said, complete that trifecta that LeVar Ball's three sons made it to the NBA, are on an active roster, and are making an impact to a team. I'm not saying I agree with all of LeVar's statements that he's made in the past in terms of his three kids are better than some of the greatest players in NBA history. But, you know, at the end of the day, you can't deny he's a good dad. He had faith in his kids. And, I mean, two out of the three already in the league producing at a very high rate. And, you know, who's to say the third one can't do the same with a little bit more experience? Yeah, and it's going to take time. You know, it's not going to be overnight. You know, he's still got a long way to go. But, oh yeah, you know, it could work out. Just kind of have to see where it goes, but he's just going to have to improve his game day by day. That's all you can really say. That is big facts. Kevin, wow, that's it's, all we it's, got. it's 11.30. We started recording at like 9.45. It's about to be a two-hour episode. Yeah, we're an hour 45 in, my guy. Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a good episode. I had a lot of fun with this one. This was fun. I enjoyed it. We had a lot of topics to cover, and we knocked them all out. As we always do. I mean, guys, as always, thank you so much for the support. I know we've been kind of sitting at the 210 subscriber mark, but I mean, at the end of the day, we're doing what we can to provide you guys with good content consistently. I know we're a day late with the content, but between Kyle and I kind of both conking out a little early yesterday, we both felt it was kind of the best scenario for just to have a fresh start today on a Monday and, you know, get at it as early as we could. But you know, thank you guys as always for all the support, you know, the following, the comments, the likes, um, if you guys like what we talk about, please subscribe. Uh, shout out to my girl's cousin, Dominic. Um, always supporting, always listening, always giving us good feedback. I mean, he messages me on the daily, you know, about episodes when they come out. Um, he commented on a couple of our videos as well. So, I mean, like, shout out to you, Dom. We really appreciate everything that you do for us in terms of, you know, liking, commenting, supporting, viewing, watching, whatever. Um, and the feedback. I mean, he's actually the one that told me we made the mistake uh, two weeks ago about the 17-game uh, season. He's the, he's the reason why I realized that we said 16 games instead of 17. So, I mean, like, big kudos to him. Yeah. I mean, just, I've been so accustomed to 16 games. It's weird that they flip it to 17. But, you know, I, I think we've recovered since then. I think we've done a pretty good job of making sure we have drilled the number 17 into our domes. Yeah, it's just, you know, 12 and 5 is a lot different than 12 and 4. Like, but It, used it to almost feels like we're wrong. It, do, it does feel odd. It does feel odd saying 12 and 5 or 13 and 4 or 14 and 3. Like, it's just weird. But, you know, I think we've recovered. I think we've adjusted well. I think we're doing pretty good for ourselves, honestly. But, you know, like Kyle said, um, we appreciate it all. And, you know, with that being said, guys, that's going to wrap it up for me. Kyle, you got anything left? No, I've got nothing else to say. Just, you know, appreciate the support wherever we can get it, whether it's listening to us on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts whether it's watching our YouTube videos, we just definitely appreciate the support wherever we can get it. Uh, we've got another episode 
coming out later this week for you guys. I imagine we'll have a lot of topics to knock out then, so stay tuned for that. And we will see you guys later this week. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA.